Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation. Hello, Lewis. Hello, <laughs> Daniel. How are you? Oh, good, but not as good as you. you look so you look so tanned. You look Do so I? yeah. It yeah, looked like you know, you've been you seen some me. sun. Yeah, me and my people we tan very easily. Uh, it was um, <laughs> yeah. I had a week off. I hope you had a good show last week. That was great. Uh, I'm sure it was. Not as good as usual, I would imagine, Dan? No, you're correct. It wasn't as good. We did miss a certain – there was a certain je ne sais quoi that was uh, missing from the program. Yeah, I mean, I just say the quoi. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal land in the Yorra Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra Fair and Section 40 a rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, the federal government commits net zero by 2050 by announcing existing policies. Angus Taylor says it shows the government's commitment to recycling. And economists say that the chances of hitting net zero by 2050 are about 50-50. And Andrew Lamming, MP, withdraws an apology for the treatment of two Brisbane women, prompting Andrew Lamming's dad to apologise for not withdrawing to create Andrew Lamming. It's the 29th of October and things are about to get spooky. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! Hello, welcome to Rational Fear. I'm your host, former president of the Wagga Wagga Gun Club, Dan Illich, and this is a Rational Fear, the podcast that brings a little nihilistic joy to your existential anxiety. Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. They caught a break at the start of the pandemic, and just like COVID-19, now they're everywhere. From the feed, Vija Rajan. Vija, how does it feel to be everywhere? It's good. I always wanted to achieve, um, like, cosmic union. And they've booked their first ever solo festival show. So you better go along and see it. Otherwise, they'll give up comedy forever from the Chaser podcast. It's the overstretch, Gabby Bolt. Hello. Yes. I have no idea if I'm any good at this still. It's been almost a year and I still don't know. Yeah. Look, finally, you'll have the opportunity to be rejected by hundreds of people. I cannot wait. 
I cannot wait. I have like the tears in a jar ready to go to <laughs> sprinkle on all of my sorry notes. It's going to be awesome. And they're fresh from holidays where he saw sunshine for the first time in 120 days. He's tall and tan, just like Barnaby Joyce's riding boots. It's Lewis Hover. <laughs> That's right. Slip into me, Barnaby. Um, yeah, so good to be back after a, um, after a week off. I had a nice time. I went to Greater Sydney. I went an hour and a half away. It's the furthest I've been wow. away since about uh, April, I think. And um, it's nice in Greater Sydney. How did you feel about Greater Sydney versus less Greater Sydney? What's what's your favourite? Where's your favourite place to be? Yeah, I mean, I live in lesser Sydney. I live in the part <laughs> of Sydney that's just all like um, rats and cockroaches. I went out to um, to Avoca, which is a little bit north. There's heaven up there, Dan. I saw a I saw a dolphin and a shark. Oh my goodness, that's the future. Uh, coming up a little later on, we speak with Graham Redfern from The Guardian about a true crime podcast series that highlights in gruesome detail the murdering of climate policy by Australia. But first, a message from this week's sponsor. This episode of Irrational Fear is brought to you by the Canberra Modelling Agency for when you need to put on a show, but the Emperor insists on wearing no clothes. Our plan for net zero by 2050 is the plan that I believe Australians want. Oh, Scott, put it away. The Canberra Modelling Agency. The critics can't touch you if you've got nothing to show. This is a small handful. Oh, this is getting boring. This week's first fear, billboards. Folks, we've done it. Um, we've, we've done, our billboard campaign has gone off. Uh, it's been a, a, quite a few busy weeks for me. We've raised $226,000. What? Um, from, t- <laughs> I know, Are you I know. serious? Yeah. Have you, I know you've been away, Lewis, so you probably haven't actually caught up on what we've been doing on the podcast while you've been away for the last couple of no, weeks. No, I mean, I, I didn't listen. I'm not an idiot. I, um, <laughs> I've muted you on Twitter. <laughs> there are a lot of comedians who've unfollowed me on Twitter over the last month. <laughs> that's the, that's how you know you're famous, Dan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've, wow. we've, we've raised $226,000 from 2,580 people who are very annoyed about uh, climate action or the lack of climate action from our government. We've, we've absolutely shattered through our initial campaign of raising $12,000 and now we're paying for three huge billboards in Glasgow. One is on the Glasgow Expressway between uh, the COP Centre, the COP Conference Centre and the airport. <laughs> and the other two, one is on uh, Shelterson Road in uh, in Gartershire, Glasgow, and the other is on Rathglen Road in Strathclyde, Glasgow. So we've got uh, we've got three giant billboards going up. <laughs> Did you get any like hot tips from locals on whether or not those were areas that were densely populated? Um, like, or are you are you just you just hitting and swinging and missing? To be honest, the Glasgow Tower Expressway is the big one, and that was sold into me hard by the out of home company. They said, yeah, this is a pretty big one, right? Um, because the one I initially booked booked for them was a real shitty one in a commu- <laughs> in a, like a commuter car park. <laughs> yeah, because um, I was chatting to my family um, last night, and they're like, "Oh, the Dan's billboard campaign's going really well." I'm like, "Yeah, it's amazing." And I, and because my parents um, live in Torquay in Victoria, uh-huh. and I was like, "There's been one in Torquay for like a month," and they're like, "Oh, we haven't seen it." I'm like, well, "Okay, <laughs> so I don't know where he's put it, but um, it's not a huge town. It's on the Great Ocean Road, like it's like it's on the main strip." <laughs> yeah, I guess my parents aren't getting out much. How long? How long is that one going to be up? Can um, I go visit? 
yeah, you certainly you certainly can. I think it's going to be up for the next couple of months. So, so that great. one was given to us was a was a gifty from the outdoor company Gork. So thank you Gork for that. So great they, name. They said they're going to say they're going to run that for a couple of months for us for free. They just want to be part of the action. Oh, nice. But we've had some um, we've had some artwork rejected from the out of home company. Um, so let me show you what we're running. Uh, <laughs> here's what we're running. We're running uh, Net Zero Ambitions by 2050. Uh, Australia. Uh, we're running the other one from uh, from New York, which is Cuddle a Koala before we make them extinct. Mm-hmm. And the other one we were running is the apology of where we said, we're sorry that Australia's bullshitting on our emissions targets, but they rejected the bullshitting with the asterisks in the mm. word because they said it's swearing. So we've had to replace the word bullshitting with a Scottish word called havering, which is apparently a Scottish word for Foolish talk. Uh, so it kind of makes sense. Havering. I love it. Havering. Huh. Is this a drop bear situation? Are, are you, have you been stooped? <laughs> have you been havered? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe we've been havered. It's a good enough story anyway, I think. I think it will work. Um, th- so, yeah, it's really good. Anyway, look, this is something we don't often talk about on the podcast um, uh, because as our revenue grows, we we have a thing where we pay the rent and we give 5% of our Patreon to SeedMob. So with this project, it's it's going to be exciting to give $10,000 to between two groups, SeedMob and Wanganjangaloo Cultural Custodians who are defending their ancestral land on, uh, which is where Adani is trying to build a mine. So that's really exciting. So big thank you. To all those folks who've chipped in, um, we are going to foolishly spend the rest of your money on making jokes uh, between now and May. And we've also got um, our billboard today went up in Armadale uh, in Barnaby Joyce's electorate. There it is there, uh, net zero by 2300. Uh, and we've also got a billboard that went up in Kuyong. Uh, now, we are not allowed to advertise anything political in that particular billboard. Um, so we ran this one. Hey, it's time to buy a standing desk because you're about to lose your seat. Uh, uh, and with enough space there for someone to write whatever they want, uh, oh. in it. Uh, you know, so that's that's but potentially potentially, but we don't right, want so people to do wrote that. Josh, there, that mm. would be an option. Wouldn't but they? Shouldn't. Wouldn't do it that. be awful? Or if they wrote Lewis, I know Lewis, you don't have sure. a standing desk. Um, no, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I would love one. I do have some news on that particular billboard, though. Someone has defaced it already. Oh. Um, the exact uh, thing we didn't want to happen. The deck no. said, but they have royally, well, well they, they haven't done, done a great job. What have uh, they done? Uh, Do you have a- This is what they've done. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, so close. Can, that is so, so polite. For, <laughs> so, so for people who are listening to the podcast, instead of writing Josh after hey, they've written <laughs> Frydenberg in orange letters at the very bottom of the artwork. So it says, hey, it's time to buy a standing desk because you're about to lose your seat, Frydenberg. I mean, that works Mm. grammatically. I don't know. Yeah. It's perfect. And it's so It's more threatening. The handwriting is so beautiful. Someone sent it to me, and they said um, we're two geriatric people, and we tried to give it a go, and we were too nervous to climb the ladder that we brought. And I was like, "Well, that is amazing! Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, thank you." I want a movie about them. (laughs) The Notebook, but we call it like the Notepad. Yeah, it's up, but it's down because they can't get up. 
This week's second fear, follow the money. In 2018, the world's largest fund trader, BlackRock, said they'd no longer invest in companies that failed to demonstrate that they also serve a social purpose as well as generating profits. Now, this is a big deal. Uh, they have $8.7 trillion in investment, and you can buy a lot for $8.7 trillion. Uh, You could get uh, 10 and a half wars in Afghanistan for that kind of money uh, or a three-bedroom house in Sydney. Uh, look, it is a lot of money. Uh, this week at a conference in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, also known as the Newcastle of the Middle East, the CEO of BlackRock uh, put his words behind green tech as the place where the next 1,000 unicorns would be born. That is, private businesses worth over a billion dollars in such industries as green hydrogen, green cement, and green steel. In his mind, it'll make green money. Fearmongers, is Larry Fink correct? Are the next 1,000 unicorns going to come out of these sectors, Vidya? Probably. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think... We're looking for so many things to save us. But I think what's really interesting is that he said that and then um, I think they invest in the Commonwealth Bank and they, they're they like major shareholders and then the Commonwealth Bank had a resolution about like whether they should divest from fossil fuels and then I think and then BlackRock voted no. So they're saying they want to invest in climate tech but then they're letting... I mean, maybe maybe that is the scam, though, because, like, all the climate tech they're investing in is to fix the problem, and so if it gets worse and worse, the tech becomes more valuable. Are you suggesting that um, these financial investors aren't serious <laughs> about climate, like they're, that they're actually more interested in money than climate what? action? A group called, who voluntarily called themselves BlackRock, Black an Rock. obviously evil <laughs> villain organisation. Yeah, Black collaborate Rock with after, banks. Named after their father, Cole. <laughs> This is kind of like, I'm like, why do all these organisations, like, call themselves these cartoon villain names? It's like calling yourself, like, Mordor Stone or something. Like, it's, it's got, like, an, an Enron, like, sounded like a robot that wanted to kill you. Like, it's all in the name. Like it's- Yeah, give yourself a nice name like Facebook and then you never do anything wrong. <laughs> then you fool people for longer and by the time you've done it, you're like, your mum's on there. <laughs> like, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very interested. Have there been any climate unicorns at all? Has there been one? Like, surely not, right? I can't think of one. Um, they're all just Uber like webs. They're all just websites. It's all just like yeah, Canva and like they're all. All these people are just like do it, like making apps that kind of exist in like Microsoft Office and then putting them on the internet. Yeah, it, it, yes, totally exceedingly be able to scale right across the world, you know, in a, in a matter of months. That's that's. Co- what about Keep Cup? Do they make a billion dollars? <laughs> they, they have a billion of my dollars. Have you seen how expensive those cups are? Tesla is close, I think. There's Tesla literally a website that's like climate tech unicorns. <laughs> oh, really? And how many are there? There's heaps. How many are there? Looking at it now? There's loads. Yeah, I'm looking okay. at it right now. <laughs> There's right. quite a few. Too many people oh, have a billion dollars, I guess, you know, nowadays. Huh. Why didn't you ask for a billion dollars for your fundraising campaign, Dan? You could have been a climate <laughs> unicorn. I asked for a million and I only got 20%. It's very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> the bad boy of billboards. He's now the bad billionaire of billboards. It's Dan Illich. <laughs> Irrational fear. Has Treasury ever done any modelling on the economic costs or benefits of net zero? I don't think so. In the period immediately before that, we had done cleaning climate change modelling. I, no I don't know whether it's eight years, but we haven't done it. Irrational fear. This week's third fear. Chris Evans is set to star in the prequel of Pixar's Toy Story, thus proving it's best to never have childhood memories so they can never be destroyed. Fearmongers, <laughs> um, 
Is this prequel necessary? Do we really need it, Gabby? Here's the thing about this prequel. It's called Lightyear, right? And from that, you think it's about the Buzz Lightyear we all know and love. But I think this is actually the first time we see a prequel outlining the reason for a fake merchandise pitch in an alternate <laughs> universe. Like It's the story right. of a fake man who inspires the fake toy company who inspires the fake toy version of the same fake man. So it's not actually the story of the toy. I want to reiterate that. It's the story of the actual astronaut, Buzz Lightyear, who at some point in his life gets a toy deal. Wow. It's kind of like if we made a movie about, I don't know, a Barbie. And then we made a movie about the person who inspired the Barbie. The woman who couldn't stand up straight because her proportions were so (laughs) cooked. And somebody said there's a doll in this. Her name was Barbara Millicent Wallace. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Good work. And does she have a feature film about her, Lewis? Soon. Not to my knowledge, but I'm sure it's on the way. You need to pitch that. Quick. I was thinking yes. based on based on this story coming out, there's there's tons of prequels we can make now. Like All right. the fact that they need to be continuous with the original plot, irrelevant now. We can make a prequel to Bugs Life and call it Larvae Actually, and all you see for 90 <laughs> minutes is just like goo and stuff. It's conceptual, you know? You can make an origin story for legendary walking advertisement himself, Duffman. I want a Duffman feature film from The Simpsons. That man has tales we don't know about. I also wouldn't mind an origin story specifically for the sleepy dwarf because why is he so sleepy all the time? (laughs) I've got some other prequels. Um, Police Academy, uh, Police After School Academy. Uh, Mahoney gets help with maths. Uh, Yes. That's uh, good. Yeah. Uh, uh, Three Men and a Zygote. It's just (laughs) Tom Selleck. Tom Zellick without a moustache um, mm. and uh, Beverly Hills Mop. Eddie Murphy plays a janitor going to do one last cleanup in aisle seven before retiring. <laughs> I also wouldn't mind a Furby horror film and I was going to write that one down, but then I realised that a Furby horror film is literally just gremlins. Mm. It's, just, it's just the plot of, gle- of gremlins. Disney's just cannibalising itself like that snake, the Ouroboros, <laughs> do you know, the one that eats its own butt. Yes. Now that's a show. Now... It's human centipede, but snake. That's actually the sequel to A Bug's Life. Yeah. So we have the prequel, Love Actually, and then we have the sequel. The other thing was that um, Buzz Lightyear's gotten hotter. Yeah. In the transition, I weirdly, from George Clooney, world's hottest man, to Chris Evans, also hot man, the uh, animation has gotten a little hotter. Yeah, just Um, when you think Tim Allen couldn't be any sexier. Yeah, Tim (laughs) Allen was the original Buzz Lightyear. Was it Tim Allen? Why did I think it was George Clooney? Just because I thought he was hot. Easy mistake. Easy mistake. <laughs> Tim Allen was Buzz Lightyear. I get. Yep. I, didn't, I didn't really watch movies growing up, so I have a lot of <laughs> gaps in my um, <laughs> pop culture knowledge. I just assume everything is George Clooney. <laughs> yep. Irrational fear. He's one of those people you just spoke about who writes horrible things online, abusing his own constituents, taking photographs of people, of women's underwear in public. Can you see that people see a double standard here? Irrational fear. Graham Redfin is a longtime climate and environment reporter, and his current employer has put that knowledge to good use. Together with Adam Morton, the environment editor at The Guardian, Graham has made a new podcast series called Australia versus the Climate, which is a blow by blow reporting of how we got into this mess in the first place. He joins us now. Welcome, Graham Redfin. Hey, Dan. How are you? $226,000, though. You're going to need some kind of yeah. blind trust to manage a. Uh- 
amounts of cash like that. You're going to do well, it all. That's the, well, people want, me to con- people want me to continue the thing and I'm like, I don't want to continue. I don't want to keep raising money and asking people for money, but maybe I will start a blind trust when the election gets called and if people want us to make electric election content, they can pay into the, into the blind trust. We'll call it Porter's Blind Trust, Proprietary Limited. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's good. We're going to spend the money on good stuff. We're going to spend the money on uh, not only billboards, but we're going to, you know, pay for more video content. We've got a great stunt idea. Um, And, yeah, we'll also be able to pay for everyone who comes on the podcast for next year, which is great. So, you know, except for you, Graham, we're not paying for you. No, no, I love love how you took my flippant opening remark as as an excuse to give me an actual answer to the question. That was lovely. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know anything about that in this country. (laughs) Graham, just off the top, um, every time we speak to someone who works full-time in in climate, either policy or activism in Australia, the first question I always want to know is, like, how how are you? Um, Yeah, I'm very, very tired. Especially after this week, I'm just generally tired, and and being <laughs> yeah. on this being on this podcast with all you um, youthful, but I, I mean, how do you do it? That's what I want to know because I'm I'm done. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just the years. I'm you know I'm I'm um, oh. middle middle aged, white, tired. Uh, yeah, I've been doing this for I don't know twenty years now, almost like on climate. Yeah, it's um, I think you gotta you gotta put the time in though. You got to put the timing because it's <laughs> it's a really it is a really uh, it's it's massively politicized and there's all sorts of um, misinformation. There's a lot of denial. Uh, there's a, a lot of there's a lot of ways that that readers can get uh, misinformed by this sort of stuff. And I think you need to spend a, a bit of time with the information before you, as a journal, before you can really feel that you're not going to accidentally mislead your your readers. You know. Uh, it is really interesting listening to the podcast. It is so gripping and so um, intriguing. It is a real great um, primer for the COP26 coming up. If if you want to know everything that went wrong with Australian climate policy, um, spend four hours listening to this podcast and you'll be up to speed. Putting it together, Graham, did you have to, were you surprised at um, the kind of research you you found, even though you've been kind of in this space for 15, 20 years? Oh, we, f- we found out a lot. And, yeah, I mean, we've got uh, four hours of broadcast material and th- about 35 hours not broadcasted. We we start, I started three months ago. And, I mean, I, I know I know some of the stories, but you kind of, you, you've got to start somewhere. So we start at the beginning. We start in, you know, in the mid-90s. What is the Howard government doing around climate change? We've got the Kyoto meeting coming up. What, what do the cabinet papers say about what Australia's position is? And then we find the people that were around at the time and, and we look at the participant lists of the UNFCCC participant list for the Kyoto meeting and we kind of go, oh, let's speak to that guy. Let's speak to that person. And we just start ringing them up. And so we, a couple of really valuable interviews was a guy called Roger Beale, who was uh, the head of sort of the environment department in the Howard era, who helped to sort of write this thing called the Australia Clause, which, as Clive Hamilton tells us in the podcast, if you don't know about the Australia Clause, please don't get me to explain it. If you don't know what the Australia Clause (laughs) is, I will explain it. But if you don't know what it is, then you don't know anything about climate policy. And you can't because it's it, it's the thing that means when you hear Morrison and Angus Taylor in the last few days say, we meet and beat our Kyoto targets. 
you know, the reason he can say that is because of what Australia did in Kyoto in 1997. So we kind of start there and we go all the way through uh, from Kyoto to the other big meetings like the failure of Copenhagen. How did you get that guy? How did you get Bill to talk? Like, because when he speaks in your podcast, he's he sounds almost proud of the diplomacy he, he did and like he was like some kind of returning services um, person coming back from war. Like he was so kind of proud of the stuff he did, but in, in effect it's kind of ruined everything. Well, it's not, it's not my, it, my job is to find the people that were in the room and ask them the questions that you would want to ask them and let them answer. Uh, and 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 when that gets pulled out across four or five hours of of a podcast, and it's got context around it, it becomes, I think, really really powerful. He's he was a long serving public servant, and he retired, oh, I think, maybe eight or nine years ago now, maybe a little bit longer. I found out where he was. He's an artist in Canberra, and and rang him up. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. And you've also got other folks in there, like the head of Greenpeace at the time, and uh, and you also got Kevin Rudd on. It was really interesting to listen to Kevin Rudd pretend that he was trying to solve climate change uh, in, in episode two when it came to Paris. And it's fa- fascinating when Kevin Rudd's talking about, um, sorry, Copenhagen, yeah. and the, trying to get all the countries to kind of come to a deal in Copenhagen and Kevin Rudd paints himself as this as this saviour to do that. But it's also at the same time when you listen to um, Ben Rhodes's book and you listen to Obama's book, uh, Obama and Ben Rhodes also paint uh, Barack Obama as the saviour of yeah, Copenhagen. Yeah. But ultimately these two or three big egos kind of going, trying to save this world agreement made the whole agreement fall apart. Yeah, um, the Rudd story is remarkable, if only to hear Kevin Rudd attempt uh, to uh, corral uh, the entire uh, planet Earth in a, in a room which he said um, was not big enough to swing a cat. The, the thing about the Copenhagen episode was that the, it, this was a period where um, where uh, Australia was in a position where it, it was it wanted to do stuff, and wh- whatever you think about Kevin Rudd and and Penny Wong, who's also featured in the podcast, whatever you think about those people, they they did work really hard in Copenhagen. It didn't work. They, it, it's it's ironic, really, that at the one time when the Australian government seemed really motivated to get a deal, is the time when the rest of the world just can't can't pull their finger out. We wrote, we mm-hmm. spoke to a guy called Andrew Hyam, who's an Australian guy who went off to Europe uh, and to work for the United Nations to actually write these these deals, these protocols, these agreements. Mm. And and he um, he said to us, oh, it when I got there, the first thing I was working on was Copenhagen and it was it was six months away. But he said it, it was never going to be a deal. It was a mirage. He called it a mirage. Wow, mm. go on. That's nice. Yeah. Any uh, prophecies on on Glasgow then? Uh, any pro? I, I, well, while we've been talking, um, we have the, uh, the the official press release from uh, this is not a joke. The official press release mm. from Angus Taylor's office. Um, <laughs> it says it says um, Angus Taylor will attend the opening week of COP twenty six to pr- to promote Australia as a safe and reliable. Destination for investment in fill in the gaps for investment gas gas, gas. gas. <laughs> coal baby gas. gas hydrogen and new energy technologies. Um, so what 
Well, the thing about he, so Morrison's going to Glasgow. Um, he's not going with a front-loaded uh, twenty thirty target. He's just going with some projections. Even even the projections are way below uh, the kind of tar- twenty thirty targets that that the United States have got, the Europe's got, that the UK's got. So uh, all I guess he can hope for is to come away unscathed. It, it will not, though. I don't think it's going to be a meeting that will deliver us anything that will get us close to what the Paris deal says, which is well below two degrees. Uh, there's still a massive gap. The UN released a, a, a report when it added up all the pledges that the different countries have put in, and it said, well, you know, they're still way over two degrees. So uh, it's going to be very difficult, but you've got to put the effort in, haven't you, Dan? <laughs> and I've just remembered, by the way, th- there was a scene in Paris in the in the podcast. Yeah, um, when it's the only it's the, it's the only light comedic. I shouldn't say this because no one will listen. It's the only light comedic <laughs> scene in the whole in the whole of the, the podcast series. But it's when um, it's when the Paris deal gets struck, and I go out to a nightclub in the evening where I meet Dan Illich. But I also I also get to dance with the um, with Christiana Figueres, who was the president of the COP. Um, we exchanged some some shapes that night, but that <laughs> but, the, but that that episode is sort of that takes us to the high of Paris and then explains what happened in Australia and what happened to these protocols in the years that went that that followed. Yeah, I, I love that episode so much. The way you laid that out for that cop because it kind of laid out this interesting uh, internal battle amongst Australian politicians, uh, Angus Taylor and uh, and Bishop Julie Bishop, when they were kind of arguing over whether they should go for a two degree limit or a one point five degree limit. And Angus Taylor, of course, is a hard right faction, is saying, "No, no, we're just going to go for a two degree limit." And then Julie Bishop grabbed the microphone and said, "We're going to go for one point five degrees," and like committed Australia. <laughs> almost unilaterally. I thought that was a real beautiful moment. Like, oh my God, that's uh, so strange. Wow, wow. We, we're almost like, you know, it feels like we're part of something, mm. we're actually doing something. Yeah. And then to see us kind of uh, throw that away the weeks after Paris and go, yeah, we're not going to actually do anything about uh, about Paris at all. It, it, is, it is such a roller coaster ride, your podcast. It is amazing. It's why we hired a, uh, a, true, a true crime uh, audio producer from the ABC to actually pull it. It sounds yeah, like yeah. it sounds like a true crime podcast. Well, I'm hooked every step of the way. You've got it's got a, there is drama. It's there um, in amongst all the square brackets and the and the hours and hours of sort of meaningless meetings. There is a there's high drama. These meetings are where the the the, the power base of the world gathers. And I think the moment where we have Penny Wong remembering being in a room in Copenhagen with uh, Barack Obama, Angela Merkel, and she says to us, uh, I never thought I'd be in a room like this. And what strikes her about it is that the people in this room could do anything that they wanted. If they Mm. wanted to solve climate change right now, they could do it. And they didn't. And what do they do? Do they (laughs) order some Thai food or something instead? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. sorry to spoil it for you. Yeah, um, just catching up with the news from 2009. Um, But, yeah, it's... um, uh, but that, that those were the moments that we were really looking for as well in the podcast to kind of get 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 the details to prime people so they know what happens at these meetings because they are crucial, right? So get them to understand what happens at them, but also to sort of find the anecdotes that keep the drama going and and keep the humanity in it. Um, I mean, even even going back to Roger Beale, Dan. Uh, who you mentioned who was around in the Kyoto period. I mean, you know, he tells us, oh, when the meeting had finished, 
went back to my hotel, had a bath, drank half a bottle of whiskey. Um, I mean, it's unusual to get a public servant sort of giving you that kind of detail. Um, but yeah. I feel like Scott's approaching COP26 the same way I approached any and all group projects at university, which is just kind of like, turn up, I guess, I'm being made to do whatever the other people tell me to do and then walk away and then fail because I didn't actually do anything. Um, but the difference is when I do that repeatedly, uh, I get kicked out of university and when he does it, um, it's fine. He gets the trip to Glasgow. He, get, he gets to do it the Australian way. Yeah. He gets to do it the Australian, the Australian way. way. Yeah. And the conceit Free there trip is, to is just, is, um, you know, if, if I had a, a conceit o meter, it would have blown it up. Because uh, that that was it's absolutely astonishing. Vidya, I often see your tweets on climate change. Uh, would you ever want to go to a conference of parties? What would you do there? Oh my god! Um, I feel like I could only go if I was employed as a professional. Like I could live tweet the event. Like I think I'd like to do that um, and just like subtweet everyone there walking around. Um, is that activism? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. Counts. That's probably well, what it sounds sound it sounds professional. I would love, sounds. yeah, like a large screen of the tweets to just appear after they've said something so everyone can like get your take immediately. It's just like <laughs> So like you'd be almost like doing goggle box or something of COP twenty six. Yeah, or like nagging them into moderating their performance. Yeah, what were you saying, Dan? <laughs> I was going to say, you could actually get that job, Vidya, to work at DFAT because that is essentially COP. COP is a giant Google Doc screen in uh, in like little in meetings upon meetings upon meetings. And it's this giant Google Doc screen that all the countries are trying to add to and subtract to to get to a final resolution. It's like, that's why they spent two weeks, like right, two weeks basically working in a group document. It's so nice you're here, Graham, because you're now the you now make two people in the history of the podcast that have been excited about the COP meetings. Yeah, like not the outcomes, but the actual <laughs> meetings. Yeah, yeah. Like you see, Dan's Dan's eyes light up when he talks about a Google Doc. Yeah. The man loves process. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you like process, you'll you'll love a COP. But um, the 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 fun the fun part of the of the Copenhagen episode with with Rod was was how he basically did not run with the process at all and was trying to run meetings after like through the middle of the night and then uh there was there's this moment that he recalls there's a there's a moment that he recalls when he when um he's trying to run this meeting with like India and China and some other countries I might have got the countries wrong um and uh the the Danes the Danish prime minister who was chairing the meeting sort of walks out and India and China are trying to get this whole process to slow down. So they're like looking at him going, oh yeah, we can fold this now because there's no chair. So Kevin Rudd says to us on the podcast, he says, well, um, I, I said, well, my good friend, the Danish prime minister has asked me if I will now chair this meeting on his behalf. Uh, and he hadn't <laughs> asked him to do that at all. It was just Rudd <laughs> making it up just to try and keep the thing going. Um, uh, so there's process and then there's, making stuff up to try and keep the thing on the rails. Uh, it was a pretty, that's another sort of really interesting moment. Uh, Graham, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about this podcast. It is truly an incredible bit of work. Having listened to all of it now, um, it's just, it is, if you've never, if you want to deeply understand the reason why we are where we are, 
you could definitely listen to this and it, you, ha- you can have a good time listening to it, which is great. It's so actually it, really entertaining. It's it's a five-part series. It's on the Guardian's full story podcast feed. It should have its own feed by next week. Please listen, share, talk about it. It's also on Spotify, also on Google Podcasts. I'm the host, but it's with Adam Morton, lots of superstars, an amazing audio production team. Uh, is it going to be on Netflix? It sounds like it could be. Um, <laughs> sure. let's, let's talk about it, Dan. Let's make it happen. <laughs> we can. Dan can fund it. He's got a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've got 226 grand you're just floating around. Yeah. Oh, man, <laughs> I've already spent, spent 70,000 of them. I've got to pay myself back first because, uh, well, uh, I've got some bills to pay. <laughs> you're in debt. Before we go, um, uh, Gabby Bolt, you're going to see us out with a song? Yeah. Uh, now that things are opening back up again, I'd like to just remind us all of the experience that may not be universally shared. In fact, this might be a bit of a niche joke, but um, back where I'm originally from, which is, you know, the crazy, amazing, enriching place of Bathurst, um, there's restaurants, lots of restaurants that you get dressed up for. And I, mi- I miss restaurants, but more than restaurants, I miss the mysterious figure in the corner of most restaurants. And this is his story. of Matt Colby's brother will make you want to fuck me How many times will I have to say that this next song is for you or you or yeah you (laughs) What are the chances that we'd be together in the one place that this town employs well-dressed Calvin Klein cover boys to play for you That's okay, cause if you ask, I'll give you a fake I don't know your name, cause I don't want to (laughs) You're in love with me, because I truly seem to be The embodiment of culture But here is the big gotcha If you strip me of my man bun, my stomp box and my suede hat I'm just the same as the next lad so please don't take away my six-string wingman. How about some falsetto? <laughs> good, huh? I will spend half of the evening playing strictly Ed Sheeran's repertoire. Anyone like a bit of Tenerife C, huh? Because if nothing else, white people requests are really all I need. purely from Oasis songs and snorting coke You don't have to know how I went broke Paying for a teacher Ten years and I still can't play a fucking bar chord I will seem real chill until you spill your five buck beer On my espadrilles You're lucky they weren't my R.M. Williams I have nailed the art of making easy songs sound hard Playing Riptide, Delilah and Jorge But somehow I'll still draw the line at Braithwaite If you ask me for that song I swear I'll throw up in my mouth
swing a side version of Kaysen. But no fucking horses from this string man. <laughs> Harmonica solo, because of course there is. <laughs> Did you guys know I'm self-taught? Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> like fucking Bob Dylan up here. Why does no one see that I could be the next big thing since Jeff Buckley? Now there's a man who appreciated depth. I'm gonna be fucking famous and then you'll have to know what my name is. No more restaurant gigs where my art is background noise. You'll all be fucking sorry when I audition for The Voice. Not the punchline! <laughs> the Voice, The Voice. We the knew voice. That we could feel the punchline coming and then the coming, mic yeah. cut out. It was The oh, Voice. Oh, well done. Fantastic. Thank oh, you. God. That, that reminds me of my favourite Justin Hazelwood joke and uh, he does this thing where he goes, uh, quick Jeff Buckley impression. And he's like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they're brutal, aren't terrible, they? Terrible, terrible. Um, that is that is it for Irrational Fear. Big thank you to Gabby Bob, Vidya Rajan, Graham Redfern, Lewis Hobart. Do you guys have anything to plug? Yeah, I guess if you're in Sydney, you can now buy tickets for uh, Looking for Ella Brandy at Belvoir, that, which I adapted. Um, oh, 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 Vidya, yes. That sounds I've amazing. Always, that sounds that? amazing. We'll definitely go see that. It's next year and it's also coming to Melbourne, but those tickets aren't on sale yet. But the Sydney tickets are on sale. Um, yeah, I'm told. What? Can you give us a... People are already what? buying. I'm sure it won't sell out. So you, you what was it like to work with Marlena McKenna? I mean, it was pretty hands-off, um, but she wrote me a really <laughs> lovely letter. Like, um, yeah, <laughs> it was great. She, li- she likes amazing. it, so hopefully that's a good sign. <laughs> I had my I had my motion picture debut in um, Look of Ella Brandy. You were in uh, the movie. Yeah, in um, in Have a Say Day. If uh, if you remember it, Have a Say Day. Ah uh, uh, yes. People doing talks. Uh, there's a full shot, a full frame shot of me clapping, going in my school oh, uniform. Amazing. Uh, oh my god. And, it, and occasionally Looking for people. Dana Brandy. I'm going to be going back and doing another version. Yeah, that was oh, Dan. I'll try and put that in. I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Enter stage left. I'm available next year yeah. if you need me. If you need me. I think you, yeah, like that, like that, like someone walks on like that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking, speaking, speaking of sequels, we don't need. <laughs> That's great, Vijay. Congratulations, Gabby. Do you want to plug anything? Yeah, I, I have a comedy show finally uh, in Sydney from the 16th to the 18th of December. It's called oh, I cool. Hope My Keyboard Doesn't Break. And I've accidentally Macbethed myself with the title because now that I've called it that, I have a feeling everything will break, i.e. microphone today. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, tickets are on sale for that through laughoutoflockdown.com.au. And also, yeah, because of the Moosehead Award, I'll be taking that same show to Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yes, oh, congratulations, nice. Gabby, picking up a Moosehead. Well done. Thank you. Lewis Hobbit, do you want anything to plug? Peace and love, you know, that's what I want to plug. Friendship. Graham. <laughs> I've done this podcast, Dan, that's called Australia yeah, vs. The it. Climate. It's, um, it's on the Full Story podcast feed on The Guardian. Um, I also write a weekly column for The Guardian called Temperature Check, where I do fact checks on climate stuff that silly people say and sometimes not silly people say, so I do a bit of that. But please, everybody, read The Guardian. It's great. It's free too. 
<laughs> Big thank you to the Bertha Foundation, Road Mics, Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki Timeline. Big thanks to everyone in our Discord. Big, big thank you to everyone who uh, chipped in to Joke Keeper. We're going to be having some fun with that over the next six months, so thank you so much. Uh, until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Oh, next week, uh, the next sec- episode two of Julia Zamiro's Asks Who Cares is coming out, so we'll be, can- we'll be taking a break next week, but Jay-Z will take care of you next week. Um, so thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.